Welcome to another installment of the Evolution Exchange podcast. Today I'm um, with David Bojak. He's currently with The Bridge. I cannot pronounce the name correctly, uh, but I think David can pronounce it a lot better and let him introduce himself. Go on, David. Hey, uh, thanks for having me back. Uh, That must mean that the previous podcast I've done with you guys hasn't gone (laughs) awfully. Uh, yes, I am currently at Oresundsbrunn, so that's the bridge that it's hard to pronounce, uh, <laughs> thing connecting between Sweden and Denmark. Um, but yes, about me. So David Bozhok, I'm originally from Slovenia, but I've been in Sweden now for over 10 years, and I've really found a home here. Like It's the, it's the promised land for those of you who are not yet here. Please you know, consider. Um, I've studied computer science back in Slovenia, and I have a quite a quite a strong formal uh, formal education, and really have an appreciation for the formal parts of the science. And then after that, I've uh, worked as a developer at some smaller companies and then some bigger companies. I guess my most uh, so like fancy titles or what you would call them is that I've spent some time at Microsoft as a senior software engineer, and then finally making it to tech lead and getting my first taste of of management. Um, I really kicked off my management career then at Storytel, where I've joined in and I've experienced like many, I've joined in as as a manager. So I haven't written sort of like code there. That was my first non-coding job. So I used to make this joke that there is no no bugs by me at Storytel. Uh, (laughs) It's the only place where I didn't have any bugs probably. But there I had an uh, opportunity to experience different levels of management, uh, sometimes work li- working very closely with engineers, some other times leading like the big the big tech department as head of technology. And really all in between and all was great fun. But it was always very close to the sort of user-facing mobile apps of Storyto. Um, and then since then, this year, mostly I've moved to the consultant space, finding interesting ways to, you know, how to help organization as a, organizations as an outsider, as a consultant. I'm doing that through Castra, and currently, like I said, at Oresundsbrunn as a um, director of software engineering, looking at the internal software that Bridge produces, uh, mostly web and app. Um, Yeah, yeah, I try to keep. uh, I can. The last thing I wanted to say was (laughs) I like to keep in touch with my developer side. I am a very. I always have a side uh, side project on the go. And then I'm very enthusiastic about advent of code. Um, I'm very proud to have all stars of all years. And then the next one is just around the corner, December 1st. So hoping to see you all there on the various leaderboards around the internet. That's, that was plenty about me. That's probably way more than that. <laughs> nah, it's always good to have that, like, that good amount. Hi, everyone. This is Chris Bennett here, a Knowledge Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. Now, we're here to talk about your background, but also your passions around 
let's see um, developments of mobile applications and what, you, what you've done in Korea. So within this conversation, we're going to break it down. We're going to talk about David's advances with leadership management, his project management uh, experiences, challenges of the mobile app development realm, obviously the future of mobile apps, and then go into a bit more detail about the success stories around David. Maybe also the mistakes and learning opportunities. I don't know everyone's made them in the careers and David's kindly going to share them and as well as advice for aspiring leaders as well. So thank you so much, David, for, for joining. Um, to start us off, what we'll do is we'll go into leadership and management. Seems like a nice broad one to jump into. So my first question for yourself is, what are some of the key principles or strategies you found the most effective in leading engineering teams, particularly in the context of mobile application development? Yeah, so it's a great question, very broad one, so I can go anywhere I want with this <laughs> one, I think. But to start us off, I don't know if this is, or I don't think this is separate to mobile apps, but I really think that trust is the building block of all of all working relationships, really. And it's the most important component of leadership on every level. So, you know, I worked a lot with many engineers and many different managers. And in all cases, I felt that as long as I trusted uh, trusted people and as long as the people trusted me, I could always trust that they're going to bring the full commitment to work and, you know, that we're all going to do our very best to solve, you know, like whatever challenge uh, is is ahead of us. Uh, so really, there is no there is no taking shortcuts with with that. Trust is the, you know, trust is the main component. And I'm also very careful in remembering that trust is a two-way street. So I work very hard to be trustworthy as a manager and as a colleague. I always aim to be transparent and open and, you know, really be careful to never abuse trust or take anyone for granted or all of those things that we feel really sting when they happen to us. Uh, I make, you know, I'm extra careful to not do it to anybody else. With regards to trust, how would you say, or what would you say is the best way to build trust? Yeah, it's, uh, I think it's lots of sort of like lots of interactions where you, um, um, you know, like where you get close, especially at the beginning of the relationship, when you get closer, where you can kind of like feel each other out, feel what other people's strengths are, and then be able to lean on them. But also being, you know, daring to be vulnerable and say, hey, you know, this is not my strong suit, so I need help here or admitting where something didn't go as you intended, or, you know, like you made an assumption that turned out to be wrong, like being open with that and saying, hey, yeah, I thought this, you know, we can build on top of this assumption, but that wasn't the case. Uh, so let's, you know, let's figure out what the truth is and then build on top of that instead. I find that, you know, if you can do that, as soon as you do that, you know, like people see you in a different light and um, trust you a lot more. Okay. Have you ever experienced where people are reluctant to trust? I think there is always, uh, you know, there is always this may, maybe skepticism or healthy skepticism uh, when somebody is joining in as a new person. Maybe that's more present in Scandinavia, or at least stereotypically more present in Scandinavia, that you kind of like need to work a little bit more to like to win that trust. Uh, but I've had you know, let's call it luck, or I've persevered long enough that I haven't really encountered somebody that was, you know, like openly hostile or just like unwilling to give me the benefit of the doubt. And yeah. I truly hope that I've never behaved that way 
towards anyone either. So, you know, with enough dedication and with enough, with enough time, I think really any relationship can be a great working relationship. Okay, nice to hear. And then, then sort of moving away from the, the sort of leadership management of, of trust, how do you balance the technical aspects of the role as well as the responsibilities? Where does that come about with you? Yeah, that's always a hard question. It's probably a question most <laughs> technical managers uh, struggle with. And I don't have like a golden golden bullet or anything like that. But my stance is that especially for people in sort of like my organization or in my team, um, I trust them to be the experts, right? So even if it's something that I have a background in uh, or that I've done myself before, you know, I always, I don't, I don't want to be the person who knows more in the most in the room or knows more than any individual engineer. I, I always trust them to be the expert. And if we, you know, if we seem to hit any roadblocks and, um, and I feel that, Hey, my, some of my experience could be valuable here, could get us across, then I offer my, uh, my insights, but I never assume that I'm right or that things haven't changed since I've last, uh, last done them and really count on, count on the team, knowing their stuff. And I think we all want to be good at our jobs and their jobs is to be experts in their respective fields. So I trust them to be that. Okay. F fabulous. Fab <clears throat> Excuse me. That's it's fabulous to hear that. What we'll do then, we'll, we'll move on to the sort of next area of, of focus and that's looking at project management. And this goes into a bit more project ma management methodologies or tools that you found effective in ensuring the success of projects. What would you say would th they would be? Yeah, so now here, bear in mind with me that I've mostly, you know, worked on a big established code bases that release frequently and are kind of like frequently updated, always trying to deliver value. So, you know, your mileage may vary, but I find that when you're in that mode, as long as you're doing some kind of like agile process and agile mirroring here, very definition of the word, kind of like being willing to adapt to new information, being willing to like adapt to new learnings and optimizing for learning, then it mobile apps shouldn't be that different than uh, other software projects. Um, there are some things towards the end of the projects that I think is quite different, but you know, generally in my experience, Agile methodologies, and it can be like a strict scan, sorry, strict Scrum or a Kanban. I think those uh, those perform well. Okay, okay. And do you know why you sort of shied away from the green um, green uh, greenfield projects? Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't really know. It's not like an intentional intentional choice. Um, it's not that I don't like, you know, like those projects or see value in those projects, but I suppose that it's one of those things that maybe we're also going to talk about later as, you know, like your previous career experiences in career really have a big, big impact on the trajectory of your career. And then I've started early with not working on greenfield projects and getting sort of like good at these big established, uh, established code bases. Uh, Microsoft is famous for kind of like not not throwing anything away ever, but always kind of like building on top of the previous uh, previous iteration and always, uh, you know, supporting backwards compatibility on all that. So then I think like I've always, when looking for my next challenge and so on, like that's what I had, that's where I had the most to offer. So then, um, so then kind of like the career uh, just turned out to be that way. Okay, very nice indeed. Um, is there any advice for people that are going into the larger scale organizations, more established um, 
organizations that you could give them around this? I mean, it's uh, it's different. It's very different than being in a in a small startup where really like anything can change over overnight. It's also different in a in a sense that there's a lot of legacy there, and there are you know legacy code has a little bit of a bad uh, connotation. But I don't think that that's warranted really. I think that you know legacy code proves that this this particular problem has been worth solving before and there is you know there is knowledge there there is code that works that adds value um so i think especially for engineers i think there is value in you know seeing legacy code as a repository of knowledge and no matter how silly something looks or if you know like you you have that instinct to just delete the code block or to just refactor it there's, it's probably there for a reason, or it's definitely there for a reason. At some point, you know, an engineer working on it previously has had a bug, and that particular code block solves it. And if you simply, you know, like disregard it, then you're probably going to cause some unintended uh, side effects. So I think the greatest advice there is just to really try to understand why things are the way they are before you aim to change them. And that can be, you know, that goes all the way from code to sort of like processes to yeah. organizational dynamics. Yes, so I see that with a lot of developers um, reaching out and talking to them. They say, oh, I don't want to do any Alexi code. And you go to say iOS, for example, and as soon as you say Objective-C, you can see half of them just go, yeah, no, that, that, that's not well I'm interested. But then you do find the people that are extremely interested in, in the older technologies. I mean, they like to stick with the ways and they seem quite comfortable and we're not 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 wanting to change that way. And I feel that there is particular now, you know, the, <laughs> the very technical side of me screaming out. I know that this is not what we're intending to talk about, but I think that there is a lot of value in this philosophy of, you know, like, hey, we're, you know, we're changing bits of our ship until we get a new ship. And, you know, like starting with, a, you know, like an iOS Objective-C project and kind of, you know, like figuring out a way how um, how to interleave that with new Swift code and how to you know like how to migrate your project bit by bit uh, until you get a new flashy uh, Swift project. Uh, I think you know there is a lot of value there to kind of like deliver value to the users continuously instead of going arguably the sort of like the easier way of just starting from scratch and uh, having a greenfield project in front of you. I think that's where the real seniority lies is in being able to do that well. Okay, okay. Well, obviously, we're talking heavily about mobile applications here. Leading on to my next area of conversation is the challenges that you've seen being a lead within the, the mobile space. So the, the question is going to be, what are, the common, what are some of the common challenges that engineering teams face when developing mobile applications and how to address them? Mm-hmm. I, uh, it's again, like a very broad, broad question, really like on if almost anything could go here. So I was thinking a little bit and I think that, you know, like there is, it really depends on the size and experience of the organization. And I think, you know, like some of the, let's call them maturity points or, you know, like places that, uh, things that you kind of like learn along the way or that the organization learns along the way is that release processes and sort of like life cycles are very different. So one thing that I think people forget, uh, or it takes time to learn, is that once a version of an you know an iOS or an Android app is out there, it's out there forever, basically. I mean, some users just might never update. 
and you know that you can try to kind of like force them and so on but the truth yeah. is you know like you're you're more like you know you're likely to lose at least some customers in that way uh and you know like some some versions are just going to be final or every version is going to be just the final version for some users so that might require your team to you know like to support them or work around implement these workarounds or to decide to actually now cut these customers that there is you know the, the cost of maintaining the, uh, the experience for them is larger than they provide to the organization so you know like having a strategy for this kind of like written down so that it doesn't have to be at, discussed ad hoc each time is a big maturity point and then having a strategy for versioning your apis so that you can kind of like change your api without having to worry that oh but this is going to break break uh, you know a the experience for the thousand users that are still on the, this 2018 version of the app um you know like that's 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 also a stepping stone in sort of like the organization maturity and then just having a bigger focus on the quality before releasing finding processes to validate you know like maybe like a beta channel or or something like that because again you know like just getting that realization that once you release something it's going to be out there forever I think yeah. that's a great, um, that's a big learning step. So uh, how would you say is the best way to ensure quality within these engineering teams? <laughs> yeah, the best is always a scary way to set up a question. Uh, I'm not falling for that trap, Chris. <laughs> um, no, but I've had a lot of success with, um, now specifically for Android and iOS apps, I've, had, I've seen a lot of success with getting the, um, uh, so getting like a sort of like internal uh internal dog fooding program or internal testing program and then okay. even like an external program for uh, uh on android especially it's very easy with the android beta program when so like anybody can sign up to be your beta tester and provide experience uh provide their sort of like insights and telemetry um so i i think that there is a lot of value in in that uh, and i'm actually very proud of what the engineers and I did about that at Storytel. There is a, still a blog post up there that uh, showcases our journey. Um, and then another one is sort of like the use of feature flags, uh, you know, like being able to do trunk-based development, having your code there, having the feature off via sort of like a remote, remote-controlled API. It can be like an ingrown solution or it can be a third-party provider that you buy. That doesn't really matter so much. But just being able to kind of you know, test the water a little bit and sort of like expose the use uh, the feature to some users and then uh, not to others. And then kind of like as you gain confidence, then expand that circle to more and more users until you kind of say no, but now it's now we're fully confident and now the feature can go out to everybody. Okay, so you hear it here to hear first, folks, that's not the best way, but it is a really good way of ensuring quality when you move applications. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that leads me on to the next question. Where do you envision the future of mobile apps now? Obviously, it's a lot of people are talking about mobile applications. There's a lot going on within the mobile where, world. What is going? What's going on next? What do you believe will happen next? Yeah, and I'm feeling a little bit ill uh, ill prepared for these questions. I will be honest. I you know, I I'm not one to really. S- 
you know, stay on top of the newest trends, newest technologies versus, you know, like what are the, you know, current pros and cons between like hybrid development versus native development and all of that. But one thing that I have been uh, thinking about a lot, especially my in my current world, which is, you know, like much more, you know, it's a step away from like startup. Um, everything has to be an app world into more steel and concrete world um i've I've spent quite some time thinking about apps as you know how they're going beyond nice to have or perhaps like a competitive edge for a company but instead becoming a necessity for a business you know to be able to compete uh or you know like to and they need to have often i see that they need to have a really you know high quality up-to-date app just you know, just to be a player, even if it's not a part of their core business model. So here I'm thinking a lot like, I mean, think of, uh, you know, like a fitness uh, chain, fitness center chain that needs, you know, like that obviously needs a good app now to attract customers for them to sign up to, you know, these shared classes uh, or, you know, like a pizzeria or a coffee chain for handling orders and promotions and campaigns. All of these things that a few years ago, I think we were thinking of like, wow, this is, you know, this is so cool. Now yeah. people are just not going to be your customer if you don't have those. And then how do you, you know, how do businesses pay for that? I mean, these are expensive projects. I mean, obviously all of us like within, within tech are expensive, but, it, uh, but there's also infrastructure costs and, you know, maintenance costs. These projects also tend not to be a, like a once, once and done kind of thing. You need to continue as we've seen, in my other uh, topics, like we, you have to continuously work updating, uh, updating the the app for it to have that you know, uh, promoter score. But, um, so then, how does a pizzeria or a fitness chain that just want to you know operate uh, in person, like real life business, how can they warrant that cost? And how you know how much in money do you invest in that? Yeah. Does everybody need to uh, need to have an app? Like before, you know, sometimes that was used as a as a this uh, ridiculous question. But now it feels that many businesses really do need to have an app, even if they don't really have those kind of digital aspirations. Yeah, I think the way you look at the the actual user or say the consumer, they're trying to find easier ways to do the same things. Maybe reduce the human interaction, or just find a simpler way of doing the same action which which you can do on the web or go to a shop and that's what i've seen especially over the last three years how that's changed and that sort of mentality has changed where mobile goods were seen as more of a luxury now it's more moving to more of a necessity which is good to see mm-hmm. yeah exactly but i truly believe that kind of like figuring that out uh is going to be a huge part of uh of the next year for many companies it's like what is the app for where does it actually add value? Like, when is it hurting? Where is it helping? What do we want it to achieve? How much do we want to invest? How much is reasonable to, in- to invest? I think those are going to be some very interesting but very important questions for many companies in the coming years. Indeed. Because indeed. We're, I think we're beyond that, that you could just, you know, like that somebody just goes in and is like, okay, yeah, just create me an app. I don't really <laughs> care what it does, but like I need to have that logo in my commercial available in App Store, right? Like, I think we're beyond that. I think now... Uh, we're, you know, even those projects get more scrutiny, especially because of their uh, associated costs. So figuring that out, uh, what needs to be an app and how to do it the right way, that's definitely a topic to consider. 
Alrighty. Now let's move on. We spoke quite a bit of mobile apps. Let's speak about you and your sort of backgrounds and your successes. So can you can you share a specific success story or a project that you're particularly proud of where your leadership has played a significant significant role in achieving a positive outcome? Bit of a long-winded question, but what, what's your best success story, really? Uh, yeah, that's 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 tough. But one thing that I have learned is to never ever take credit. Uh, for successes as as management right like it's not us we're overhead like it's not us doing uh, real work of course like hopefully we're you know setting up the environment for success uh but i don't think the credit belongs to uh, belongs to me or any other manager um it should go to the team doing the actual work but uh yeah one general practice like strength that i've received in my career is being able to keep calm like during um, a crisis Focus what's in most important, lead the team there and on those decisions that really need to be made, and then communicate those clearly. So, you know, communicate to the team, communicate to the stakeholders, communicate to the larger organizations, just to avoid like a lot of the a lot of the noise that's out there. Um, and it's of course hard to turn things around when the situation is already at that level. Uh, but I think we as managers have like almost an unlimited capacity to make those situations worse. And I think everybody has a story like that. Like when, you know, like when there was, something was already, there was a crisis or something needed to be fixed in production. And then there was a manager who was probably trying to make things better, but everything was much, much harder because of them. And that's the thing I think to be afraid of. So as long as we're even as managers kind of like providing value in those situations, uh, then uh, I think that should be counted as our successes. Yeah, but I can generally... see. Oh yeah, no, go yes. ahead. I can see, David, that you, you you're very humble in your answer. And I really like that. It's a, it's a solid answer to, to give. Yeah. I do have one one example that I am actually very proud of, both like the team's journey, but also like my contributions to it. And I think that I think that plays in with the other with what the, we've talked about already in this episode. Uh, and that's uh, Storytel made a journey to go to weekly app releases. So, you know, like having a, every every Monday, there is a new app in the Play Store and in App Store. And that being like a you know, successful, uh, um, successful product um, on the rails, kind of like an automatic process, even though it involves code from many, many developers in different teams, pushing code all in the same repository. Um, you know, like having these big audiences to validate it, looking at telemetry to see if there is problems to catch them before they go to, you know, before they go live, having all of that happen. Uh, that was a, you know, that was a great effort. And I actually checked, there is still a blog post about this journey on the Storytel Tech blog. The project was called uh, Turbocharge. So you could see my sense of humor there when thinking of that code name. Uh, but that I think was a great success. For, and uh, I'm, Sincerely hope that Storytel is still getting value from it to this day. Okay, fabulous. It's great to see when you when you look back that people are still using the things that you've implemented. I mean, you go, okay, I'm, I'm actually proud of that. So <laughs> yeah. what we'll do then, we'll move on to learning and growth. So in a such a dynamic field, continuous learning is essential. What strategies do you employ to keep yourself and your team updated with the latest developments? Yeah, obviously there is, you know, like a part of this answer that's, you know, like, yeah, I really like to read books, which is true. I'm a bookworm. I really like to uh, read articles. And obviously, you know, there's lots of articles on the web and there's lots of good content with podcasts, uh, podcasts and 
all the other things. But I don't think that I have any, you know, particular strategies there. Uh, so instead, I think what I'm going to mention is that I use an interview question or like an interviewing segment that I, I did not come up with. I read it, you know, in one of those articles, but it has brought a lot of um, successes recently. And then I try to turn that around for myself as, as well. So the interviewing segment is I try to figure out during the interview, okay, so this does this person actually have 10 years of experience? Or do they just have the same year, kind of 10 times? You know, Sure, they've been in the industry for 10, uh, 10 years, but was a, a each one of those years kind of like more uh, like, you know, different? Did they achieve different things? Did they face different challenges during those years? Because, you know, sometimes if there is easy years, you know, you don't actually grow that much. So, yeah, you're, you've been in the industry longer, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're more senior as such. So I think that the, the person who came up with this, you know, like, okay, is it 10 times 10 years of experience or 10 times one year experience or five times two years of experience? I think they really like hit upon something great there. Um, so then I believe that each of my years in my career has been very different than the previous. And I do that a little bit intentionally, you know, trying to either grow a new role internally with the company that I'm at, but, or, you know, like exposing myself to, to new challenges, but really like always learning and always learning by doing, I think that's, that's a great way to kind of like stay, uh, you know, stay on, uh, on the, uh, on the forefront, stay being up to date um and always learn yeah so i think that that's uh, some vital advice i would say no one really thinks about that that much and when you do actually what am i doing to challenge myself how am i learning how am i going to grow and if you stay stationary then you don't exactly learn or then you don't grow so yeah i, I love that advice thank you very much for that one i'll take that personally as well <laughs> oh absolutely and i think you know like nowadays i think it's quite far uh, um quite hard to find people especially i'm assuming people in this audience who would be able to say oh but you know i've had a boring year or i've had two boring years so you know like i don't think that it happens that much but try to think about that i think you know it's like okay what's going to be you know what am i learning here how am i you know how am i pushing myself forward and if you feel that you are a bit too comfortable then do something about it and that doesn't have to be changing jobs like that can just be volunteering for new things or spreading your horizons within your current role as well okay so let's move on to the success stories and the learning opportunities and growth and that's focused on the the, the negative side of things and the mistakes and how we overcome them so obviously everyone encounters challenges and makes mistakes it's just part of life everyone should know this by now um, could you share a professional setback that you faced and how you learned from it? Oh, that's a good, uh, that's a good question. Uh, maybe you should have led with that one and then the rest of this episode will be <laughs> really humble, right? But uh, <laughs> uh, I'm actually a big fan of those. Um, yeah, I don't know if you will have to bleep this out, but, you know, like um, fuck up nights is a, a thing that I've heard on online. Uh, that, you know, like where people gather together and uh, share their sort of like failure stories, because it is from failures that we uh, learn the most. So I think that it's a fantastic forum to um, sort of kind of like, you know, being open about your mistakes and about your learnings, because that's going to help others the most as well. Um, 
I didn't, I don't from the top of my head have a really good, like a really good example that would be easy to illustrate a setback or a failure. But I can say that I think mostly they land in the category of failing to validate assumptions. Uh, so I can share a little story. I don't want to go to too many details, but uh, as an engineer, sure. I've caused, like my code caused many, many unnecessary downloads um and therefore like huge costs uh by not having an understanding of how the underlying layer of the technology that we were using worked so you know like i wrote some code and it went live and then it had like a very very bad catastrophic very bad side effect not uh, something that user would necessarily notice you know like it, it didn't crash or something but because of not you know not understanding how how you know the framework that i was using really worked then um, a month later, a different department sent a graph of sort of like you know infrastructure cost my way, and um, and that was you know that was quite embarrassing. But to the credit of that organization, you know like I think we handled it really well. We had a very good root cause analysis. We fixed the problem. You know like nobody yelled, nobody screamed, nobody got fired. Uh, so that was also an important part of you know like how of learning from that mistake from that bad code that was written was uh, you know the process around it uh, to really make sure that this doesn't happen again and that we learn from it and not just that we get the you know the, the line on the chart back to back to a reasonable level and i'm gonna make an assumption that you've never made that mistake again is that correct <laughs> no no not that one no uh, um yes and then as a manager then like going or you know, like setbacks or failures as a manager, sort of like in the same category. Um, I don't have like a you know like a big big failure, I think, but together with the product organization, I've been several times surprised how little our impact work, uh, our impact, how sorry, how little impact our work had at the end. You know, so you plan a feature, you try to validate, you know, you try to do user research and so on. And then you build it and then you ship it and then in a good organization then you will have some goals for the new feature you'll have some matrices that you hope the new feature has you know is going to move um because we're out of you know we're not just writing code for code sake we're writing code to get some outcomes to get users to engage more or buy more or you know whatever right uh, drive more over the bridge who knows um i think that you know maybe to to be <laughs> successful we you know like we need to pitch this big project that are gonna change the world and change how our users interact with our product but honestly like it rarely is that big it rarely has that much impact um and sometimes it's you know sometimes it's just disappointing like you've put yeah. your heart and soul into this and then uh you know like and then it doesn't people are either not using it or they are but it doesn't actually lead to the outcomes that you imagine and i think like it's important to kind of like be able to admit that as well and say like hey you know we've uh, we've made this bet we've made this investment our engineers worked really hard our designers worked really hard um our quality assurance worked really hard for this to be a success but some of the assumptions that we've made along the way just aren't true and obviously we're gonna take the opportunity to learn from this but um but we can't you know we even if the code is excellent we can't count this project as a success 
Yeah, and that I've been a part of, uh, definitely. Okay, okay. And let's just move on to our, our final sort of area, and that is the advice for aspiring leaders. Now, what advice would you give an aspiring engineering leader who wants to excel in their field? What would you give them? Yeah, excellent, <laughs> excellent question. I'm Quite also an aspiring. Well. <laughs> I am also an aspiring reader that, that wants to succeed in my in my field. So you know, it's uh, the journey is never done. Uh, but I think one important point, especially for um, especially for people who kind of go the, the path that I went with, sort of like being an individual contributor, a software developer, and then maybe like some sort of like a tech lead, and then you get into staff management or people management. Um, I think it's easy to get stuck in this, you know, like, oh, I know the, you know, like, I know the code, I'm an engineering at heart. So I spoke a little bit about that earlier, saying like, no, the team is the expert and it's not, it's not you anymore. That's not your job anymore. And I would double down on that here in this question and kind of say, I think in general, the code is actually the small part, some ways the easy part. Um, you know, like there is... As a manager, you you deal with all of this like uncertainty. You deal with all of these assumptions that you need to validate, and then maybe with especially with apps, you deal with all of this really complicated, complex release processes. And maybe you're at the mercy of sort of like Google and Apple reviewers, and you know. And then there is can be like people problems that you need to uh, that is on you uh, to to sort of like resolve or support. So don't focus too much on sort of like the coding on the tech part of uh, of your previous experience uh now you know if you're a, if you're a leader like now you have your team members and it's their job and focus on the parts that are really your job okay okay the, i like that again very humble uh, and in the end it's all about people right so trust people find ways that you know to help people trust you um, and just thrive with working with people, even when it's hard. Because, you know, like I'm, you know, <laughs> especially as, as as engineers, we're kind of like, no, you know, like used to writing instructions and so on. And people are not like that. People don't respond to instructions. And we also don't respond to instructions very well from our leaders. So as long as you really try like to find joy in working with people, like with the sort of like the messy, <laughs> Uh, reality that all of us individuals are, then I'm confident that you'll find success. Well, that, that, I think that's a perfect way to sort of round off, the, off this podcast. Is there any sort of final questions or um, notes that you would like to do, David? Uh, no, not really. Just, you know, big thanks for uh, having me on. Uh, it's always a pleasure to be your guest. And uh, yeah, hopefully I will gonna just make another pitch for Advent of Code. It's fantastic that the community is growing every year. So I'm hoping to see many more of you to participate in that this year. Great advertisement there for you, mate. Um, but yeah, this has been the Evolution Exchange podcast. Now, David, I, I completely um, wanna say thank you so much for joining on the, our second podcast now. Oh no, third podcast you've been with us, I believe. That's, that's right. Second with you though, Chris. Second with me, yeah. Second the best, you know, all, all that. Um, but David, I really do appreciate it. And listeners, thank you for listening in as well. If you have any questions or queries, uh, feel free to reach out to me and I can pass them on to David as well. But other than that, it's been an Evolution Exchange podcast. Have a great evening. I'll talk to you soon.